Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Tim Whitaker, joined here by my co-host all the way in Seattle, Jordan. Hello. And by our special guest today, Jerry McCarty. Hello, everyone. There you are, Jerry. Good to see you, my friend. Good to be here. There you go. You got to use words. You can't nod your head. Jordan, how are you doing? (laughs) Good. Good. Good, good, good. We got a packed show for everyone today. I'm really excited about it because the three of us have not recorded an episode ever, which is kind of surprising because we've had some amazing discussions. So I'm, I'm excited for this episode big time. I want to start out, though, by first thanking one of our listeners um, a little more in depth th- than I did last time. His name is Becht. He has sent us some freshly roasted coffee. Um, mm. The name of this blend is called El Retiro. So it's very good. <laughs> it's very delicious. Freshly brewed uh, or freshly roasted seven days yeah. ago and brewed by my awesome it. coffee maker. I can smell it from here. It actually is really good. So thank you so much, well, Beck, for sending us um, some of that coffee. I really appreciate it. It was delicious. But Jerry, you don't drink coffee. I don't, but I know that you guys do, and at least you have something to drink on the podcast. So I picked up this True Moo chocolate low-fat milk. Sounds It's intense. low in fat, but high in protein. <laughs> mm. Is it good? Just like coffee. It's actually really good. Is it? Yeah. How many grams of sugar in that thing? Zero uh, plus twenty nine per <laughs> serving, and there are only um, oh uh, two servings in the whole container. Yep, just your basic sixty grams of sugar <laughs> per drink. Just trying for a, a straight sixty. Yeah, just the usual. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and move on. I want to hop into our segment, Christians in the News. Rob is not here to do his little jingle, but we'll just imagine he Thank was here God. doing it. Thank. You. <laughs> okay, so. Maybe about a month ago, this, this picture went around the internet, and I want to read it to our listeners, and I, I want to I get your, especially you, Jerry, and, and Jordan, your initial reaction to what you would think would be happening in this caption, and then we'll explain the actual meaning behind it, okay? So, on Instagram, this guy posted, I'm sorry, this girl posted this picture of her and a guy pretty close to each other. They're definitely hugging, a, a good, good old-fashioned side hug. In the background is some horses, and the caption reads as as as, as follows. And you guys, again, I want your reaction. From top golf to dinner, flowers, ice cream, and horseback riding. You outdid yourself on this friend date, Daniel. You wanted to set a high standard for how I should be treated, and you sure set a high one. I thank God so much that He put an amazing friend like you in my life. Thank you for making me feel like a true princess. Hashtag still single though. Now, if you read that at face value, what would you imagine is happening in that caption? Okay, when I first saw it, the first thing I actually thought of was that this guy was genuinely doing this for this girl. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that did it for me. There's some whoever reposted it put a little hashtag of I am Daniel underneath of it. And so... I felt like it was a way for other people to identify with Daniel in a situation that he probably wasn't in. Right, but you're saying, but what I'm saying though is, do you think that this guy was was really being friend zoned? Is that the impression you got, or that he was just trying to be a nice guy with no strings attached, no <laughs> romantic interest at all in this girl? Yeah, I could really see both ways. No, you cannot. <laughs> no way. I understand well, you're where now, you're coming like, you from. You have the knowledge now afterwards looking back on that <laughs> but that's that's Me, my was like, that was my first impression is that i saw it and i my guess was that's what was really happening but i saw how how everyone identified with their version of the story well let me give you my first impression <laughs> this poor chump that was my first impression like, this poor kid is so deep in the friend zone he's never getting out he's n- no i felt so bad for this dude and also i pitied him like dude i this girl just called you the best friend date a girl could ask for in front of the whole world and oh no it did seem like she went out of her way to make sure everyone knew that it was they were just friends <laughs> right exactly <laughs> Okay, so I read this, and I'm thinking, this guy, this poor kid, because listen, as a Christian guy who's grown up in the church culture, I can relate. Jordan, I'm sure you can relate. Jerry, 
you have the opposite problem, so you can't relate. All right. So my point is, my point is, is that I I could relate heavy duty. Okay. I'm thinking like, I've been there. I've been this dude. Well, it turns out though, there's always two sides to the story. And when I posted this on my Facebook, someone had to ruin it. They had to give me context, <laughs> annoying context. So You're then, a debater. Yeah, I'm a debater. People so then, know this. then this guy posted this in response it was like, because this thing kind of went went viral. Like, everyone shared it. This, you know, everyone felt so bad for this dude. So here's what the that person Daniel actually said afterwards. He says, "This post is to clear up my whole friend date. First off, I am the one who set these boundaries to begin with. I am also the one who made up the hashtag as a joke." Leading up to the day, Alex had shared with me her testimony, and because of her past relationship uh, relationships, her self-worth had diminished. She had never been treated like a lady, and I wanted to show her what it was like. So please stop the harassment. This is the exact opposite of what I wanted to happen. The comments and messages she has been receiving have been nothing but hate. She does not deserve that. She is a wonderful woman of God and lives her whole life for him. And to everyone at CFNI... Please help spread this and love and the love that Christ has for what the, for that's what we stand for. So I saw that and I thought, oh my gosh, I feel like a jerk, you know, blah 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 blah. But then I thought about this, and I said to myself, I can't feel like that much of a jerk because if you here's why here's why because when you post when you post just, oh, hold on I'm getting a phone call deleted because when you post stuff like this, okay. And you don't include the whole context. You open yourself up for people to share that kind of stuff. I mean, it's on a public Instagram page. People repost it. That's what happens when you don't give context. Yeah. Am I wrong? That's what could happen <laughs> if you don't give context. I don't know. I, I mean, I listen, I'm, Daniel sounds like a great guy. And he could have really been on the other end of this. He, if he posted that whole thing of like the context, people probably would have, you know, What's the word? Like, you know, hailed him as a hero pretty much as being like the ideal Christian dude. In fact, I'd probably be interviewing him right now on the podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. But instead, I we all pitied him until that came out. I think you should find him and interview him on the podcast. Maybe I will. That'd be awesome. He's a little too famous for our podcast. So. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, that was my, my Christians in the News bit. I, I had to go over it because when I read that, it was such extremes from like one extreme to like this poor kid to the other extreme of, I feel like a complete jerk for even assuming this. But then the middle ground of saying, well, it wasn't really all my fault. I didn't have all the information in front of me until now. Yeah. Blame society. I will. Society's blamed. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, listen, Jerry, first off, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Um, not all of our listeners know who you are. So why don't you kind of tell us a little, a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of where you're from and some of the work that you're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm working overseas and with a lot of different churches um, with an organization called New Breed Global. And what we're doing is we're providing training or equipping uh, for churches to be on mission in their neighborhoods and cities. And so what we do is we bring small teams uh, to different churches and we have conversations with them about what does it look like to really express the love of God here to our neighborhoods and our cities. Um, and so that, that's what we try to work through them with in a very relational way. Um, we don't try to come in and say, hey, we have all the answers for you. We say, hey, these are some conversations that we see are very important, both scripturally and uh, very practically for where you're at. And so let's bring these to the surface and talk them over together. Hmm. Okay. And how long have you been doing that? Yeah. So I've been doing uh, some missions work for about the past 10 years, but for the last three years, we've had a big focus on uh, this mission. Um, okay. That's pretty unique. Not many people are doing that kind of stuff. Um, what got you into, I mean, how did you go from living, you know, in New Jersey in our area to kind of doing this on, on a full-time level? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the big thing is that this all came from prayer. This came from a time where I was really just uh, looking to ask the Lord, what do you have for me? What, what, what are you placing on my heart? And I remember it was actually a, a time of prayer where I was asking the Lord, you know, what would be the coolest thing in the world to do? And that was my actual question. And um, I really felt like he, he brought this idea to my mind of what would it look like to take a group of people, go around from place to place and just start serving the church and learn what a global perspective of ministry would be, rather than just having a perspective that maybe we grew up with or learned in school, um, but to, to see how the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, was 
serving and ministering around the world uh, through the different lenses of their cultural perspective. Okay. And so from there, what, you just decided to, you know, grab a few people and say, hey, let's just go and see what happens or what? (laughs) What's the story? Yeah. So that was part of it. Part of it was like, hey, let's just go for this. Let's do it. And so we put together a small uh, missions organization uh, that went around, did that. We had a couple different trips that we did. Uh, going to Europe and to Asia, where we took small teams around. That's uh, that's where Tim joined me. For everyone uh, who doesn't know, uh, Tim joined me on uh, one of those trips where we went to Europe. And what we did is we went to different churches or ministries for a month at a time, and we just said, "Hey, we want to serve you. And if you could put us up and uh, give some food to eat, then we'll do really whatever you need. We just want to serve you <laughs> and learn through serving." And so Tim was part of a, a team of us that went to Europe. We spent a month in Finland, a month in Germany, and a month in Belgium uh, serving and and learning their perspective of ministry. You know what's funny thinking about that? Because this is almost now 10 years ago. I think it was it's nine years this this year. It's crazy to look back and realize like, oh my gosh, I was, uh, what, uh, 19 and you were 23? And we just packed up and said, here we come, Finland. (laughs) I mean, looking back on that, that's crazy, you know? And it was... uh, it was definitely a pretty life-changing, I think, trip for all of us. It was you, me, and, and two and two girls that we took. It was Emily and um, Christy. Christy, thank you. And uh, it, it was pretty life-changing. In that trip in particular, because I think that was your first one, um, did that kind of give you just the bug to kind of keep doing that all the time? Or you know, how did that kind of end up being? Yeah, I started doing some short-term missions work uh, first when I was in Bible school. And uh, I spent a couple months overseas uh, youth pastoring, actually. Uh, in Brussels, Belgium. And so I already had kind of this this idea in my mind of working internationally, working cross-culturally. Um, and uh, the more the more that I was able to have this experience, I, I was glad to be able to serve, but I was learning so much that every time you go to a new place, it's like your vision, your perspective widens a little bit more. Um, I, I just found that so helpful in being able to engage with uh, these kind of big questions and conversations that we wrestle with as far as applying uh, this this idea of showing the love of Jesus to the people around us. And uh, to see how people are doing that around the world was just so important and so, uh, I guess, uh, formational for me. There's, I think between the three of us, there's a lot of history. We've been friends for over 10 years, I think, total, um, for sure. And we've had a lot of off-the-air conversations, countless ones, about all this kinds of stuff, you know. And I think, at least for me, I think for you too, but definitely for me, that trip is what launched that conversation of like, well, what, what is the church supposed to be doing? Because you're right. That was a very eye opening trip where we're in Germany and we're thinking, okay, this is the church, but a whole different expression of it. And then we're in Finland and the same thing. And then we get to Belgium. And for me, that was the most eye opening because that was my first time working with a church that met in, uh, almost like cell groups in the city. Um, once a su- uh, once a month, I'm sorry, um, um, every week. And then once a month they met together as one big church that was a whole foreign way for me to ever think about church because you know, we both grew up in this area, totally different. And it really changed the foundation, I think, of that conversation. Yeah, I think the name of that church is called The Well. And The Well, I find so much inspiration from because they're they're practicing things, they're, they're trying things, wrestling with these questions, but they're doing it. You know, they're out yeah, there, they're yeah. meeting people, they're doing it. And so essentially what their model looks like is that they have a community of people who are committed to a neighborhood. And in that neighborhood, they commit to three things. They commit to worship together. They commit to build friendships together and they commit to serve together. And so that's what their, their communities are all around the city is that in every neighborhood, they have a community of people committing to do those three things together. Hmm. It's amazing. Um, what were some of the challenges when you were there that, that you kind of found going from one culture to the other so quickly, right? Cause it's three months and we're coming from, from America to Germany, to Finland, to Belgium. Were there, were there any challenges that you found kind of having to change gears in between those countries? There are challenges, but it's the kind of thing that I love. So I love just being able to dive into a place. I don't know that I'm completely unfamiliar with. And that's like a comfort zone for me. We know Jordan. <laughs> and I both know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the kind of thing I love. And I love taking people to experience that because there's, there's an aspect to it that 
is just so driven by the Lord that makes it all worth it. So I think that's the big thing for me is that I don't want to go around and I'm not like, uh, like I love traveling, but that's not what drives me. And I love new cultures, but that's not it either. It's seeing God open doors and God put things together over and over and over again. Like that's what it is. Because even when we were going to Belgium, we were supposed to work with a different church and (laughs) a couple weeks before we had a ticket to already, already fly there. The church was like, yeah, it won't work to work with us. <laughs> We're like, oh, so there's some country that, you know, we don't know, you know, necessarily what we're going to be doing next month. Um, and then from there, we just saw that the Lord opened a door. I contacted someone that I knew in, in Brussels and they said, hey, yeah, come on over for a month. And so they uh, allowed us to serve with them. And so, you know, that was one of those kind of like God storyline moments where he was just putting everything together. And we saw that continue to grow when we went to Asia and when we kept doing ministry from there. And so that's just kind of become my policy. Like as long as God's opening doors, I'm going to keep walking through them. Right. Which is, you know, it's crazy to think about because now almost 10 years later, you're still working with Carlton in the well. Um, You're still working with these people. So those God moments that opened up nine years ago are still, you know, reaping a harvest. They're still you're still working with them. There's still things going on. In fact, I think that, that, that trip nine years ago is why you're able to to do what you're doing now because Carlton has a more of of like a full-time kind of position open to do really what you love, which is really trusting the Lord to walk through door by door, no matter where it is, Mm -hmm. no matter where it is. Yep. Which is awesome. Yeah, because when we look in the New Testament, we see how uh, some of the people did missions work. They were going, but they really had to depend on the Holy Spirit opening doors for them. You know, it's just like, all right, God, what are you going to do? Right. Where are we going to go next? We, we kind of have an idea. Right. <laughs> we have a plan to go here, but we see how, you know, Paul gets rerouted. You know, don't go this way. Go over here. You know, how dreams are involved or, or people are talking to him. Right. So there's always doors that are opening up, opening up, and we're trying to be available for God to use us in that way. So we, we try to go places, and we have ideas in our mind of, ways we can equip people and ways that we can have these conversations, but we really want to learn how to pay attention to how God is moving and then follow him. Well, I think that that stands in stark contrast, especially in our culture, not necessarily always a bad thing, but you know, we like being planned out and we, things are on the calendar months in advance and we have all the, all, you know, usually missions trips are the trips already paid for. And it's usually younger kids who are going for two or three weeks and it's all the itinerary is written months in advance, right? We know when, when we're showing up, we're, who's picking us up, where we're going, and that's not a bad thing, right? When you're taking 30 kids who are under 18 to Germany, you wanna have something that's organized, right? But when you're when you're able to go, when you're older at, in smaller groups, you have um, more um, elasticity, really. You're, you're more flexible to, to lean on the Lord to make things happen. One thing that I think about immediately is when, when, you, and I, when you and I went out to Rockford, what, five years ago now, or almost six maybe, and we just kind of went thinking, well, we don't know when we're going to come back. It could be in a week, it could be in four months, it could be who knows, and we that's how we met who we call Sensei Gary, one of the best guys ever, and we met him because we just saw a flyer for a prayer meeting uh, on the door of a YMCA that we, were, that we were at, and we said, oh, let's go and see what happens, and that formed a new relationship, you know, and all these little doors get open, and you're right, there is something that is... Um, it's almost like a spiritual adrenaline rush, you know, where you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. This is working. This door is wide open. How could we not walk through it? Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you meet all these amazing people and you, it's kind of like you see a very tangible expression of the underground kingdom. You know, it's like there's always currents that are running underneath that you don't see until you kind of throw out your own ideas and say, you know what, let's just see what happens. And then God's current starts to direct you in all different places. And before you know it, you end up in places you never thought you'd be at, but they're so much more perfect than what you could have planned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it's applicable to all of us, though. It, it, it makes for some, you know, fun stories to talk about when we're talking internationally, where we're talking about different countries around the world. But I think what I've learned from this is that we need just to learn how to be available and how to be paying attention to what God's doing. So saying, you know, praying, God, I'm here, you know, I'm available for you, and then learning to pay attention to how he's at work. And it can literally be anywhere. It could be at the places we're working, where, we, where we're living, you know, just in our everyday context. Um, but sometimes it takes going 
on a trip overseas or, or going to go on a particular mission to start learning that and then apply it to our everyday context? Well, I think that's that's the real struggle because I think people can be listening to this episode right now and say, oh, that sounds great, Jerry. You get to travel the world all day and that sounds so you know, just wonderful and just so beyond what, what, I, what I can do because I have student loans and I might have a family and I have kids and I have a house and I have a mortgage. How do I look for these God moments when I work in maybe a corporate uh, job or my, my day is much more scheduled out, scheduled out? How do you, as a Christian in our culture, in the American culture that is so in a lot of ways, anti all those things. How do you make room to be guided by the Holy Spirit in those little moments that, are, that go from moment to moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What we try to do is uh, provide like a helpful framework for that conversation. And what, what we talk about is uh, the verse Acts 1.8. And so Acts 1.8, we have uh, Jesus and he's about to uh, you know leave his disciples and he's saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you will be my ambassadors to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we find that that helps to give a framework for the conversation of what does this look like every day for all of us, whether we're in Indonesia, whether we're in Belgium, or we're in New Jersey. you know. And so it's like looking at these four areas and saying, how do these relate to me? Where Jerusalem, Jerusalem's like our everyday that you don't have to change anything to gain a Jerusalem ministry. You just have to be aware that as you live, you're on God's mission. God is present with you and you are walking through the life that you're walking through to be an ambassador of him because you have received power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be his ambassador exactly where you live with the people that you're with and then the places that you're working. And that's a Jerusalem ministry. From there, you can look at Judea, the neighborhood, the place you actually live within, the neighbors who are actually around you, um, you know, and asking the question, what does it look like for my neighborhood, for my little area to be filled with the kingdom of God? Mm. For Samaria, you know, we talk over that Samaria was a place where people would walk around. They wouldn't want to engage with the people in Samaria, you know, that, you know, back in the day, there was this big social divide. And so we try to ask the question, who are the people who are the forgotten or how Jesus said the least of these? you know, that it would be more uncomfortable for us to actually engage with them. Mm-hmm. It would be more comfortable actually just to walk around them. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what does it look like to not forget Samaria and to serve Samaria and then talk about the ends of the earth, mm-hmm. you know, from there that we all have some kind of connection to, especially nowadays when uh, we're so connected worldwide. But I find that's a helpful framework to talk over uh, everything that Jesus engaged with us with us about mission and loving our neighbors and not forgetting the least of these, but especially starting in Jerusalem, exactly where we are. We don't have to change anything to gain a Jerusalem ministry. It's hmm. good. Yeah. I was going to say too, like when it comes down to just like the real practical side of things too, when you're talking about um, in that kind of conversation, when you're talking about like the Jerusalem part of that and just kind of your everyday where you already are, um, I think because in that for us it can be so easy to like ignore <laughs> that those opportunities and just kind of mm. like slide through but and you kind of said a little bit like it's really just like where your mindset is and having that uh focus that you are on mission like you're not just going through your days you know trying to advance a career like as a christian as an ambassador like your priorities should change and like the things that you see as important. So when you kind of shift your focus to that, like every day I'm on a mission, I'm not just waiting for this next mission trip opportunity that I'm already there, you know, in that place where I can be looking for the spirit of God to move, you know, in these conversations and these situations. And I don't have to wait to travel to do that. I don't have to, (laughs) you know, but it's important. Like, to have that mindset and that takes time i think like it's not just something that you can flip a switch and it's on (laughs) like i think it comes from like spending a lot of time you know with jesus in the word um and then letting that kind of flow out through your everyday life it's not really something you can force either i think (laughs) yeah well i think that's where we can take this conversation to the american church because Mm -hmm. in, in our culture in our context, you know, we really think about things independently, right? So maybe anybody who's listening to this and you're an American, you're thinking about, okay, how can I do this? Right. Mm. You know, how can I start living this out in the place where I am? And then, you know, 
check back in about this idea a month from now and how can I have made progress on this? And what we're missing there is the aspect of the church, what we're called to, how we're called to be doing this together, you know, within community, how we're called to be talking about this, talking in this way of how we're living on mission, that we're not just kind of checking into church and then checking out, but it's part of the way we practice life together is that we talk about these things. We talk about who we're praying for, how we can best be loving and serving and blessing the people that we're around every day. And it's the accountability that we need to do that. And it's part of how the church is church is expressing Jesus. It's a community of people who are all committing to doing this together. And so I think that's like a huge aspect for us is just not to take this as an individual challenge and say, how can I do this? But how can I do this together with a community of people who are committed to living on mission? Before you you even get there, though, and this is where I struggle so much, is before you even get to that point of community, you have to come to the conclusion or ask yourself, do you really believe what you say that you believe? And that's where I, I get so jammed up because especially in the American church and the American culture, it's almost like a cultural thing to be a Christian, especially down South. You know, you kind of, you kind of identify that way no matter how you're living just because, Oh, that's how I was born. I was born going to church and I was born to believe these things. And that's just what I do. And I don't know. I mean, I just feel like before you even get to that point of, of even baby step number two and you're living in community, you have to get to baby step number one, which is, do I really believe what I say? I believe in a tangible way. It's, it's a big struggle. I think a lot about Jordan when you and I um, went through the the Barna book on Christian, and when we read that book and we're looking at just the the statistics that that one of the biggest you know polling companies in the entire uh, world did, and they found that roughly what was it seventy five percent of Americans claim that they've at one point made a uh, personal profession uh, to Jesus that meant something to them today, but those same people when it came to um, the question, do you have a biblical worldview, which they broke down to, I think, six or eight very basic, very interdenominational truths like the devil is real, God is real, sin is a real thing, hell is a real place, things that, that almost even um, you know parts of the faith that we would consider not in, like Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses, even they would agree with us on that. Right. You know, um, It was like 6% of, of that 75% agreed with that. That's you know that's what almost a sixty five percent difference sixty eight percent difference in belief versus actual like theology and actual knowledge or actual you know expression of that faith and that's a big problem because what's the point of of telling people to live in community or or to live love your neighbor if they don't even really believe the basic tenets that is supposed to be driving them to do those things. And that's the rub for me. You know, you figure 300 million Americans roughly in the country, about, what, 275 million of them (laughs) profess to be a Christian. And you look at our culture and you go, hmm, if that really was true, I don't think (laughs) that that's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like if all of us were like, yeah, I'm a pro football player, (laughs) but I actually just watch the game every every week, (laughs) like making that claim. It's kind of like that's the the distance there <laughs> like you're going from right just associating yourself with something vaguely because you're a fan of it or like is that really what your life is about and are you in that like training and practicing and <laughs> and listen you know. it's i'm not saying it's an easy life i mean it, it's not it, it's very difficult at times you know it's hard to to uh to love your neighbor consistently sarah and i even in our in our own apartment complex wrestle with that like how do we love our neighbors well how do we reach out to them without them thinking that that i'm crazy if you want to learn how to love your neighbor live in an apartment complex (laughs) we have have discovered that too (laughs) yes exactly and i'm thinking i'm like how do i get these guys you know i don't want to be like this big giant guy that knocks on someone's door saying come over for coffee and this person gets freaked out but how do i love them in little ways to get to that point you know so i'm not saying it's it's an easy transition or that hey i mean how hard can it be this is very difficult stuff but if you're with your words claiming yes i'm a follower of of jesus i'm a follower of the way then there has to be some kind of fruit of uh, that, that that really testifies to, to that mental change that you claim to have. And when you don't have it, but you still espouse these views, people 
call you a hypocrite or people wonder why do you do this stuff you know why whatever what, what you know whatever it is why do you have this view or why do you say these things but yet you, yet you can you claim to be a Christ follower they're not compatible things they're they're at odds with each other and I, I think that's why guys like Shane Claiborne or having Jerry on the uh, the podcast it's so refreshing because it's people who are actually doing this stuff they are saying actually I'm actually living it it's actually a better way to live even though it's not always the easiest way Mm. Which I think is so key, um, especially in our American culture, because we are built on comfort and we're built on what is easy and we're built on just things that that really um, feed to our, you know, our flesh, for lack of a better word, to our our nature that wants more and more that can never be fulfilled. And when you try to live as a Christ follower in our culture, it's just difficult. It's just really difficult. Yeah, I think it always like you're saying, we have to come to the place where like what's first you know, and what we can do is just look back to what Jesus says. The greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, and I, I truly believe that the one makes a way for the other to happen. You know, the loving God with everything we have shows us how to properly love our neighbor as ourselves. And so um, I believe that's first. And the same thing with the Acts 1-8 thing. That's what we talk about. It's like, hey, first, there's this whole when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Then you will be my ambassadors. Mm -hmm. You know, so anytime we talk about this, we always emphasize that too with the churches and saying like, hey, we need to put the first thing first and that is Jesus, that is him. Because even as we're going and ministering or serving or whatever term you wanna use, it's just sharing him is what this is, you know, and we're growing and getting to know him more and more, but it's, it all comes back to him. It all come back, comes back to knowing him, experiencing his love and then being able to express and reflect that love to other people. Jordan, I think a lot about um, the church that, that you and Stacia or the church body that you and Stacia really kind of got saved at. Or, or uh, I know Stacia, I'm sorry, Stacia and Micah did um, with, with your brother me. Matt. Oh, it was, it was you. Me and, and it was all of you. Okay, great. You all got saved <laughs> at the church. A few years apart. But right. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you kind of share that experience? Because that resonates with me with what Jerry's saying about how it's easy in our culture to forget about Jesus, but do great things for Jesus, but not with Jesus. Yeah. And I know that that's yeah. kind of part of your story. Yeah, well, for us, kind of what, what struck me about that community there, um, it's kind of just like this culture that they have um, of not assuming someone really knows Jesus just because they associate themselves with Christianity. And I think it comes out of the culture that they live in down there in it's in Kentucky. So like heart of the Bible belt um, of just where it is. It's like you were saying earlier, Tim, it's just cultural to be a Christian. Like you associate yourself with it. It's just part of who you are. Your parents were maybe you're, there's probably a pastor in every single person's family there. <laughs> um, it's the kind of place where you can have a city, this church that my brother is, is a part of is, you know, a six, 8,000 person church, or it was at the time. And five minutes down the road, there's another church that has 10,000 people. Like it's ridiculous. Like everyone, it's like, you don't meet people that don't go to church. So you, you get, you, this culture yeah, is crazy. created where everyone, you know, claims it to a certain extent, but you know, what does that actually mean in your life? Like who is Jesus actually to you? Um, and it was just a, uh, I mean, obviously for my wife and I, just a life changing experience to kind of go into a place where they're going to, you know, where you can say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they're not going to leave it at that, I guess. <laughs> like, they, they're going to ask you another question. Like, so so what does that mean? <laughs> like, so, so who's Jesus? You know, what do you think about Jesus? And like, asking these questions and not just assuming uh, salvation in someone because they claim that they are part of that. Um, and that's, I mean, that definitely made a big difference just because that's where I was at as... Um, a person that, you know, grew up in the church and maybe not in the Bible belt, but, you know, in a family and with a community around me that um, knew Jesus and loved Jesus and where it was just kind of something we did. We went to church and we, um, you know, did a lot of great things. Like you're saying, Tim, like y you can do a lot of good things for Jesus. You know, you can be that, that Martha <laughs> in the, the story of, you know, Mary and Martha. Right. Um but not actually have that relationship with him. You know, you can know a lot about him. <laughs> you can, uh, you, you know, do things for him. But when it comes down to like, do you really know him? 
um, that's where, you know, it's been cool to see how they've kind of created this culture of like really getting to the heart of that issue. Um, and I mean, they've, I've heard stories there of, you know, pastor for 60 years, you know, finally gives his life to Christ, <laughs> you know, after all that time, um, because he realized it wasn't a relationship that he actually had. Um, and just, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I think, uh, I think about, uh, Matthew seven, you know, like, uh, oh, yeah. Jesus himself says that many of you will say these things, but if you don't do it, uh, if, if it's not the will of my father, you know, almost doesn't really matter you know yeah. and, and well, even in that verse matthew 7 he says um many of you will say look at these miracles i've performed in your name so right. it's not just like it's it's like you've done things like i've done things you right. know that that uh changed the kingdom you know or have been crazy but where has that come from you know like well yeah that, that's exactly it and that you know, we live in this tension, right, all the time of of, of grace and how important uh, grace is because without that, there is no hope for humanity 100%. And then you wrestle with the other verses uh, verses in the Bible like that one uh, where Jesus kind of says, like, listen, it's not about, you know, just a belief sometimes. It's not about just doing things in my name, but it's being in sync with my Father and doing his will uh, that matters. Or you think about James where it says that, you know, um, works without faith is dead. And you, you, there is this other side in the New Testament that does put a very healthy um, emphasis on the life that you live because that's a fruit. And you know, I think about the fruits of the spirit, right? We talked about this a lot, Jerry, at, at, at length, the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, how the works of the flesh are different and how those just kind of, you know, those are things that really we, we are enslaved to. But when we, when we have the Holy Spirit, the result of that are these fruits of patience, long suffering, gentleness, etc. And um, sometimes I think in, in, in our zeal. Um, and I'm, I'm talking to the American culture because I can't speak on a, on a global level, but I think sometimes in our zeal, in our culture, we have this humongous emphasis on grace, which is good, but we don't put an, an equal emphasis on the life that we're called to after that decision is made, which is why I think that when you have... You know, we, we kind of have come. We've kind of, we've kind of come out of like this like mega church movement, like these you know in the eighties and nineties, these humongous churches that you know fifteen thousand, twenty thousand people that just are huge that had these like huge conversion rates, right? That would say, oh, we had you know a thousand people give their life to Christ. Well, at the end of it though, there was no discipleship on the end of that. And so you had all these people who would walk down in a really emotional state, and I believe that their intentions were, were totally pure, that they really wanted Jesus. And then after that, that was it. You know, the, the church kind of said, great, you're converted, see you every Sunday. And I think we're finding now it's just not enough. It's, it, it's not a whole picture. Um, it's not the fine print <laughs> in the gospel story, because when you give your life to Jesus, you're you're adhering to a really radical lifestyle. I mean, the, the Beatitudes are not easy things to do, even more so in our culture. Loving your enemy is is the complete opposite of what our culture is about right now, especially with things like ISIS. And, you know, these are really intense issues, but we're not filtering always, I think, through through the, the lens of Jesus. And that, that's when we get into, into some really murky waters of this the hypocrisy or why we even talk a lot about, you know, the political climate, why this stuff matters, because we're we're asking ourselves, where's the filter? Where's the lens of Jesus that the church should be looking through, but we're not always looking through it. And I think it, re it really matters now. We're, we're seeing that fruit now of kind of that movement in the past. Yeah, that's good. What yeah, I, I think the... Go ahead, Jerry. Go ahead, Jerry. Hmm. <laughs> well, Chicken. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, one, one of the helpful lenses that or, or phrases that I've heard, and I, I don't know if it was uh, 3DM or Mike Breen uh, who, who first put this together, but uh, it's the idea of... Uh, being a family of disciples on mission, a family of disciples on mission. And I find that like those three areas, if we are growing in all three of those areas, it helps, you know, people and uh, things are important uh, to God not to fall through the cracks. Um, you know, when we have like all those three areas growing at the same time. So a lot of times you find that uh, a community maybe bases itself in two out of those three. You know, maybe it has a, ha uh, a big focus on uh, growing more as a disciple uh, and mission, but not family, you know, not that family aspect. And same thing with 
uh, other ways of maybe you have a, a family of disciples. Everybody's like really close together, but there's no mission. You know, you're not going and participating in this awesome mission that God has for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find if we grow in depth in each of those three areas, that that is what we're called to do. We're called to grow as God's family deeper as God's family so that discipleship is happening. Then we're called to grow as disciples, as people who are individually uh, growing and worshiping and, and loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're called on God's mission to be going and serving and loving the people who are around us. Yeah, I think I was going to say that I think with like when we're talking about works or um, and a lot of times we don't call them works, like for me, at least in my life, like I would never have claimed that, you know, I was basing my salvation in works. But um, in reality, I mean, that's kind of what it was. But when we talk about like the things that we do um, for for Christ or for the church or, or the, the fruit that comes out of our lives, I think a lot of times we kind of we do one of two things. Either we'll just completely put them by the wayside and say that's not important because that's not what saves me hmm. um, like you were saying Tim or we'll do the opposite and whether we're uh, actually acknowledging this or not we'll make those things the things that are going to save us <laughs> um, and so you have to understand that you know there, there's different purpose <laughs> you know when it comes to salvation through grace because there's nothing we can do ourselves but then you know in that verse uh by grace you're saved through faith he says to do good works <laughs> like it's all there it's all part of it um so you have to get that like in the right order or, or in the right uh the correct purpose for both of those things i think <laughs> right it's kind of like different components of the same picture right but, you know yeah. it's like it's all part of the same <laughs> picture and it's not necessarily that you have to accomplish or master one thing in order to start doing another thing. You know, it's not like God's waiting for you to love him perfectly with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he's like, okay, now you can start loving other people. You know, you're going to be surrounded by people that you should be loving every single day as you're growing in your relationship with God. You know, um, it reminds me of, uh, in, in Matthew 25, how, you know, Jesus highlights this and he's talking to people, you know, about loving him and knowing the father. Uh, but then he really goes into um, like accountability with what we're doing with our lives. And so he, he gives this whole thing about separating the sheep from the goats and saying, you know, to the sheep that, you know, uh, you can enter, you know, enter into, uh, you know, heaven or enter into uh, eternal life um, because you fed me when I was hungry and you uh, gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. And, uh, you clothed me when I was naked and you visited me when I was in prison. And they're saying, you know, Lord, when did we do this? And he's like, when you did this for the least of these, you did this unto me. But it doesn't stop there. And that's kind of the, the sobering other side of this is that uh, he says to those on the other side, he's, uh, he says, uh, you did not do these things. You know, when I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me in. You know, when I didn't have clothes, you didn't. Uh, give me something to wear, like all these things he's going through. And he says, every time you didn't do that for the least of these, you didn't do that for me. Mm-hmm. And he tells them to depart and go into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so it's like a very challenging verse, but it's all part of the picture. You know, it's part of the picture that Jesus is painting of this life in the kingdom, that we love God with everything inside of us. And we grow in that. We grow in that. You know, we, like you're saying, Jordan, it doesn't just happen automatically. Um, but, but God shows us and, and leads us in doing that. And then he also leads us in how to love our neighbor as ourselves and not to forget the forgotten. And so that's why I find like having conversations that have a helpful framework to think through those things is very helpful for people to have first steps. And so that's why we kind of do the whole acts one eight thing is saying, okay, what's a first step that we can take in this? How can we start serving differently tomorrow? How can we view the people that we're going to be around at work tomorrow differently than we did today? And so let's take a first step together in doing that. Do you, do you yeah. think that, um, like, how do you think our, our current, um, like, church climate in the States um, fits into that? You know, like, do you think that, that our churches are set up to really um, breathe life into that kind of, of, of a model of way of living? 
or do we think that there's some room for growth? I mean, that's what I always kind of come back to, right? Because I do believe, and I know you guys won't disagree, that that ultimately the church, the people of God, are the hope of the world. I mean, I really believe that 100%. I believe that we have the potential to do so much good on earth that also matters in heaven. Um, but sometimes I think our institutions aren't always designed the best to facilitate such things to happen. Do you guys think that in America in particular, our churches are set up for this or that we have to kind of rethink the way that we even approach the Sunday morning meeting in church life to, to facilitate this kind of growth? What do you think, Jordan? Dropping the mic. <laughs> Um, I think they can be. I mean, I, I look at maybe even the church that Station and I are involved with out here in Seattle um, looks very pretty, you know, traditional as far as, you know, we meet on Sunday mornings and, um, you know, we have a church service when we sing songs and they preach a sermon um, and we have community groups during the week. Um, but I think it's really important, like where you put the emphasis on things like what are you what do you what is that morning service to you as a church and i think we try and view it more as as like this is a time for us as christians to come together and worship and you know hear the word preached um but it's not that's that's it's just one small component of you know who we are as a church i think when we start to look at that component as that's church that's all we do or even maybe adding in that you know middle of the week uh smaller get together kind of thing um but i think it's good when you hear from the pulpit or hear from the leaders in your church like no this is just a small part of what we do as a church or what we're called to do as a church that yes this is good and this is important to you know come together and worship um, and and be taught um, and fellowship together. But there's also, you know, the really importance of, you know, building community outside of that with the other people um, and then going out together. You, like you were talking about, Jerry, with, you know, the family and discipleship and mission. Um, I think the church in our culture often is like only one of those things <laughs> or that Sunday morning service only serves the purpose for one or two of those things. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, as far as the, you know, what's going on uh, America wise, there, there are some communities out, out in around the United States that are killing it. Like they're doing awesome stuff, you know, and they're, they're saying, what does it look like to do this? You know, what does this actually look like and flesh out like? And so they're, they're trying new things They're going to public places, you know, and saying, Hey, we're, we just want to throw a barbecue, you know, to just bless the people that are here. And we're not going to say, Hey, you can have this cheeseburger only if you pray this prayer with me or something like that. We just want to show that we genuinely love you because God loves you. Um, so knowing, you know, seeing, uh, faith publicly, I think is really helpful, uh, especially in a, in a healthy sense of just showing love and blessing people uh, in a certain area. When we, we were on a trip in Thailand, and one of the things that we noticed all over the city is almost every single place had a shrine. You know, every gas station, every place you got your hair cut, they all had a shrine to the, to the gods, you know, that they believed in. And we're looking at that and we're observing it and we're like, man, what if the church was like this? That it was just so seen publicly, you know, that it's like, oh, that's a, there's that group of people and they're around and they're a blessing. They're such a blessing to this neighborhood. They're such a blessing to the businesses that are around here. You know, they're, they're always serving. They're always loving. They're always encouraging. You know, just having that kingdom culture lived out uh, that can be seen, I think, is just such an important aspect of it. You know, and we have all these different components of church and we can we can practice things in a lot of different ways. But I think what we need to do is just kind of come back and say, what are we called to do? And what's the best way to do that here where we are? And to start praying about that, like praying those prayers and say, God, lead us in this because we want to do it. You know, we want to be people of action and, and uh, not just hearers or talkers only. Hmm. I mean, all this, I don't disagree with anything. I think it's on the money. I, you know, I'm so pragmatic and so practical and I go, okay, great. 
you know, it's it's in my head. It's a great theory. Then and then I think, okay, how do you actually do it? Well, on a massive scale, because I always think big picture. I always think, you know, when I think of America, I'm thinking of America. <laughs> you know, and every single church out there, all you know, however many are church bodies. And then I think, how do you like? How do you get the church to think this way as a whole? Because I agree. I think that there are definitely churches out there, or church bodies, I should say, that are killing it, that are doing great work. But uh, you know, relatively speaking, they're really a drop in the bucket as a whole. Uh, when you look at, at the majority, I think, of, of church bodies that are meeting Sunday morning, they have a very similar approach to it, which is the emphasis is really focused on the Sunday morning meeting. The second most uh, focus is the small group. And then the actual like um, life part, the, the impromptu coffee, the impromptu come over for dinner, it maybe happens, but not on nearly as big of a scale as like the Sunday morning gathering happens, right? I, I think a lot of pastors are content when like two thirds of their church is involved in a small group. And I think, well, shouldn't it be 100% because we're living a church life? So there's this big, um, not big, but there's definitely a gap, I think, between what the believer assumes is important regarding, okay, Sunday morning service is the most important part of church life. I have to go to church. I have to go to church, which we know doesn't really make sense, right? I have to go with the church. So. We think about that and then we think about, oh, but small groups or, or one-on-one time or coffee conversations, I don't want to let someone into my life. It's super messy and you know I think we, we can easily hide a lot of our junk because we're too afraid or we're afraid that we're going to be judged for it. But that's when the most freedom comes in. And I think a lot – I think – you know, the three of us, we were part of, of that, that group 11th hour that we were – that community that we – were blessed to be a part of for almost you know ten years that had that ability to we were just so open and honest with each other and that was such a freeing experience being involved with the group where we were able to share each other's junk and take our hands and stick it in in each other's mud and say I'm gonna walk with you through this stuff I mean that's when the most freedom comes I, and I think the least amount of freedom really happens when you have to put a face on to attend a Sunday morning gathering and you can't tell people what's really going on without fear of either being judged or maybe you're just too prideful, frankly. You know, the Lord hasn't hasn't really opened you up that way or there's no time on a Sunday morning to be able to open up and bear each other's burdens. So I, I, I always wrestle with this because I think, man, like I don't want to start my own. I don't want to be that guy who's like, oh, the church is broken, you know. Everyone should jump ship and we should just restart everything because that's not practical. But then I feel like I'm just one guy trying to make such a huge impact, you know, <laughs> or I, I, I want to make such a huge impact. But it's it's unrealistic for one guy to do all this. How do you like where do you start to get the ears of these leaders to start changing the way that we view our church culture? That's where I always get hung up because either I'm too abrasive or I'm not abrasive enough. And, you know, I, I always go back and forth. Yeah, I think from a like a leadership perspective, answering kind of your final question there of like how to get someone's uh, ear or how to how to hear someone out, it's really helpful to be able to prove that it's not just talk. You know, every every leader who's who's trying to you know you know say they have a, a church congregation or something like that, and you have an idea or you have something on your heart you want to bring up, they are going to value you being able to say this is what's happened already. This is how I've practiced this in my life. This is what this looks like and be able to bring that up and say, Hey, can we now address maybe my, you know, our church about this or something like that. But I think it's always helpful to have to, to take this to heart personally, you know, and not let this just be kind of like another thing that we keep mentally locked away, but you know, pray the prayer of God, how am I practicing your love on a regular basis, you know, and, and how can I bring this into um, a community context for for others to to grow as well. <laughs> uh, Jerry, I'm thinking about um, when you and I were kind of helping to lead Eleventh Hour, that small group that we were a part of. Um, when we were kind of rethinking even Eleventh Hour nights, and here I am, I'm just kind of like burn the whole thing to the ground, just destroy it. We won't meet anymore, and they'll be forced to hang out on their own. And then there you are, the voice of reason, Jerry, the voice of logic that says, "Well, we can't really do that." And I'm like, "Why not? Like, why not just take a, a mob cocktail and just throw it and watch the whole thing burn, and then just redo it?" And then there you are, <laughs> voice of reason in my life. What would I do without you? Well, what do you remember me saying in response to that? 
Uh, just that we can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember you. I think we were talking about like, I, I you know, I, you're very people focused, which is a really good thing to be focused on. And although I can be that way, I, I just am, sometimes I just think more of like task oriented, like, well, if this isn't working, let's fix it. And who cares who gets hurt because they weren't on board anyway. So too bad, you know, but then you got to be the voice of reason about loving your neighbor and being a good, you know, Christian guy. But I think we were talking about, I think, and this is a long time ago. So correct me when, when I'm wrong. So I know I don't have it all down, but we were talking about, I think the struggle we had was, People, we, we were trying to build just community and like real authentic, like, hey, are we really, you know, meeting outside of this time just to be together? Or is 11th hour kind of like a crutch right now and kind of people's excuse to, to meet once a week, but not outside of this? I think it was something around those, that kind of uh, terminology and that kind of thought process. And I remember thinking like, well, if that's the problem, let's just get rid of it. And then people have to hang out if they want community, you know, like almost kind of like if they want it bad enough, they'll make the time or they'll find a way to do it. But the other side of that is, well, why not make 11th hour, you know, kind of um, a place where, where we can send people out to go do that. Now I'm thinking, well, but it, because it's the problem. So let's just burn it down. You know, <laughs> am I right on that? Is that what, what we were talking about? Yeah. There's, there's some of those things I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the big thing is just that community is messy. You know, like we're talking about community and being each other's lives here. And it's not it's not the prettiest thing all the time. You know, it's something that sounds really great, but it's not easy. Um, It's it's difficult to go through and and do consistently. You don't want to open up your lives to everyone um, and and go through different rhythms of life together. Um, But it's worth it. And it's how we were created to live. Um, and so I think it's, it's something that a lot of people rest with, wrestle with in the American church because we're not used to that. You know, we're used to kind of living in our own place, working, you know, a half hour from where we live and then being part of a, a church service on Sunday morning, another half hour in another direction, you know? So having people that you're just committed to and going through life together, um, is something that's a little bit of a foreign concept sometimes, uh, in a family aspect. Sometimes you have that in friendships, but not family. And God's called us to be part of his family. And so family is neither Greek nor Jew nor slave nor free. It's everyone. And so there's some people you just don't get along with. You probably wouldn't be friends with, you know, on your own. They may annoy you, but that's part of community is that you're going through life together, part of God's family and finding out what that is. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, Just speaking about community and it being messy and we... In the, you know, in our culture, in the Instagram, Facebook culture, we love to kind of just romanticize things like, you know, oh, I, I don't have really the words for it, but we almost kind of make messiness look really pretty. If that makes sense, like, oh, we're just messy people trying to get along. You're like, wow, that's so beautiful. It must be so easy. And then you actually do it and you realize how not easy it is and how unromanticized that is when you actually practice it it's kind of like when you watch a romantic movie and then you get married and you learn just like the reality uh, the reality differences between the two not that the movie was all a lie it's just not the whole picture right and when you see like an instagram post or whatever about something regarding community or helping someone out you see part of it but not the work that went in to doing that and it's it's very similar to this stuff i i do think that people think about community and they think wow like Let's just live as one and let's just have everything in common. And then you do that with other broken people and you realize that you're right. You're not going to get along with everyone. And this person just really grinds your gears so much. And, you know, this person's this way and you have your own little click. And you know, pretty much, you know, sin enters in because we're, we're fallen people. But it really is. It's a grind. I mean, community is not easy. And, you know, speaking of stories, I, I keep on thinking back to that 11th hour experience. It was not always easy. It, it just wasn't. But we were so kingdom focused, right? We were so big picture focused on what's really happening that it made it worth it. It made it worth it. Even people that maybe I wouldn't hang out with outside of that, they were my brother or sister because Christ is what united us. And it was a super diverse group of people with all different passions, you know, musicians, <laughs> guys who are into sports, um, all different things. And yeah, community is difficult. And the older you get too, I think the more difficult community is because you have more and more variables. Like now you have a wife, now you have kids, now you have a job, you have a mortgage, you know, now all of a sudden time just starts getting eaten up so quick. Like our culture is so 
just after your time more than anything. I'm so I'm so convinced of that. You know, they want more of your time, and some of those things are good, right? But other things you look back on, you're like, man, I watched like the, I just binge watched a whole episode, a season of whatever it was on Netflix. Was that a really good use of my time? I can never get that time back. But Netflix got my time, you know, like I paid them for me to give them my time. So I think that you're right, Jerry. Community is not easy. And when you start practicing it, you realize that and it's not for the faint of heart. And it's easy just to kind of say, well, you know, I'll kind of stick to my inner circle. I'll stick to who I know. And we'll just kind of call it a day. There's no stretching of your personality, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff. I think what you were saying about the kingdom focus, like through that community, living through living in community is so important too. just like because it's so easy in a maybe you could call it like a secular friendship or relationship to the focus is kind of like, do we get along? Do we, uh, you know, do we have fun together? Um, That kind of thing. But like when your focus through being in community is, you know, are we worshiping God together? Are we pushing each other spiritually? Uh, you know, are we encouraging each other deeper into that relationship with God? And when those things are your focus and are what's important, those other things become a lot less important. And it by no means does it make community easy because <laughs> we're all human. We still make mistakes and, you know, we still go through the different things that, that come along with that. But it gives it, I, I guess it almost gives it, it gives that community a reason to live. <laughs> like you can see when that's not the focus, things would fall apart like so much quicker <laughs> in that situation. Yeah, no, absolutely, Jordan. I, I totally agree. Um, Jerry, you know, you've been practicing this a long time now in a lot of different contexts um, all over the world, really. What are some, um, do you have any just like real good like baby steps um, practical ways if someone's listening to this podcast and saying wow this is awesome I'm really challenged but where do I start where do you encourage someone to start yeah so we, we talked about a couple different things and maybe what I'll do is I'll rapid fire a couple like very practical ideas that's what I'm talking and about. so uh, you probably won't remember all of these for sure but let me just throw them all out there and if something sticks Take it and go for it. Well, luckily for you, Jerry, we've invented we've invented this thing called Rewind. It's wonderful. <laughs> People can pause. It's amazing. So they should be good to go. Fire away. Okay, awesome. So I want to. I'll do it through the that kind of idea of family of disciples on mission and kind of go for something for each of those. So for uh, that whole idea of being a disciple, growing your relationship with God. Um, something that's very simple in in a way that we can uh, really work through some of that is I always encourage people to take a look at uh, the five love languages. (laughs) It's something that we talk about in our relationships as, uh, as couples or friends, you know, ways to just really receive love, show love. And I always encourage people to say like, Hey, look through those kind of five different examples and see uh, what does that even look like with your relationship with God, especially when it comes to, you know, quality time and words of affirmation and all that, you know, those are just ways that we're familiar with showing love. And so I always encourage that to be like a helpful starting point. Just sit down and kind of pray through those things uh, on a practical sense. So, uh, on the other side with, uh, family, I want to talk about community. That's where we kind of just left off in our conversation. And I have two, two thoughts very practically one. And this is a, a lot. If you don't have a small group, if you have a small group that you're regularly a part of like a once a week community of people sitting in a circle, sharing life together, then you will, you have a, probably a context to do this already. Um, so maybe these ideas can get plugged right in there. But if you don't, I encourage you to find a trio of prayer, a prayer trio. And that's three people who meet up uh, regularly that you're a part of. It could be once a week. It could be at a certain time uh, that works for you guys. But find three people who are committed to each other in prayer. Um, that will be a game changer for you. It's a small group that you can really uh, know that these these two other people I can be open and honest with, and I can, I'm going to commit to speaking with them about what's really going on in my life. Um, the other I- idea, and this is uh, something I've done with a group of guys before, it's called RPMs, and it's the idea of answering the question, how are you doing, and then RPMs all stand for different things. So relationally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And you check in about each one of those things. How are you doing relationally, physically, mentally, and spiritually? So trios of prayers, 
RPMs, those are two like helpful ways to just start meeting on a regular basis with people and opening up. And then uh, finally for mission, and uh, this is obviously something that we really focus on because we see a lot of churches get stuck here um, and a lot of people get stuck here where they're like, you know, what would happen if our church disappeared? Would anybody notice? You know, everybody's like, well, we hope so, but we don't know where to go with that. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know where to go with that. Um, and so just kind of a couple helpful, uh, thoughts and, and, uh, one of them is, uh, you know, find people and let's talk in a, in a Jerusalem first. So, uh, find people in, uh, the place where you work that you can commit to pray for every day, maybe not in person, but you know, these are the three people I see all the time and I'm going to commit to praying for them every day. And as you do that, watch God change your heart for the people, especially those people that's hardest to get a, <laughs> to get along with. Mm. So on a, on a personal level, uh, on mission, find the three people you work with, uh, the most every day and pray for them every day. Um, Next, when it comes to like a Judea, set up a tic-tac-toe board of where you live and imagine your house in the middle, okay? And then around you, ask these questions. Who do you know (laughs) that live in kind of the houses around you if you were living in a tic-tac-toe board or if it's an apartment complex? You know, do you know, you know, the kind of first question is, do you know their names? (laughs) But then the second is, do you know something about them that that's not immediately obvious, you know, Mm. like, Oh, I know you're an Eagles fan because you have that Eagle sticker. (laughs) You know, do you know anything about them? That's not immediately obvious. Um, and then is there any of them that you would call friends, you know, so kind of like taking steps in that direction, just, but setting up a tic-tac-toe board. And I've seen people put that on their fridge before too, to be like very intentional about that. Um, that we want our house to be connected to the people who actually live, uh, directly around us. Um, and then, on the, on the church side, and this is, this is my kind of big encouragement for you to do in your small group, make it a weekly part of what you do to practice your faith together to talk about mission. A lot of times that's kind of left up to someone else, sometime else, somewhere else. And it's not about us checking in, checking in about how we're living on mission the rest of our week, every day. So when you're meeting in a small group or you're meeting with a, uh, with a Bible study even, if you can carve out a portion of time every single week where you talk very intentionally about what is your personal ministry field, you could say it that way. You know, what, who are the people that you're serving on a regular basis, or who are those three people that are your coworkers that you're praying for? You know, just people that you're checking in about with about that with every single week, and that will be a game changer because it's going to be. Uh, bring a new aspect of faith that you're on this together. You're doing this together and bring more uh, community and mission uh, kind of together in, in, in one place. Awesome. Awesome. Now, Jerry, I know that you right now are really supported by, by people who are supporting you supporters. That's how you're fully funded right now. Is that correct? If yep. people are listening and they really want to give to what you're doing to your ministry, what's the best way for people to get involved financially as being a supporter? Yeah, thanks, man. It's uh, serving.world, so www.serving.world. And uh, right on that page, you'll see a, a link and a little bit more about what we're doing with Newbury Global. Awesome. Great. Well, Jerry, thank you for coming on. Um, great discussion, as always. I feel like we can just go for hours, which we probably will off the air, as always. And uh, everyone, thanks so much for listening and tuning in. If you like this episode, please share it. That would be great. It's a huge help whenever our listeners kind of help us get the word out uh, and just share the episode and what we're trying to do, which is just to have a discussion, just to start the conversation around living our faith as authentically as possible as Christ followers. So everyone, thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. But where's the water? What's your plan? Three birds come down to have the sea.